0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Mixed martial arts and boxing fans, it's time for Fighter's Fury Inside the Heart of a Champion. With your hosts, Brendan Tobin, Seema, and Tommy Guns. It's time for Fighter's Fury on AM790 The Ticket. All right, good Sunday morning, everybody. Welcome on in. It's Dover here with you as we'll take the next hour to dive all over the world of mixed martial arts and boxing. Last night, you had Tyson Fury making quick work of Tom Schwartz on ESPN Plus, the American debut of Tyson Fury at the MGM Grand. Not a fantastic crowd, under 10,000, almost just over 9,000 for the Gypsy King's American debut, but look man they didn't exactly give the people a matchup that they thought was serious um great showing by Tyson Fury a nice showcase showing by Tyson Fury I think that a lot of people gotten to see the best of what that guy has to offer I think he made a lot of fans last night I thought ESPN was strong in their sale of Tyson Fury you know they have Max Kellerman up there who can wax poetic like none other when it comes to certain boxers, and they did a great job of selling the whole lineal champ stuff and the idea that he went as far as he did with uh, Deontay Wilder, Many people thought that he went on the scorecards despite needing the, the power of who knows what the hell to zap him into consciousness to wake him up in that 12th round. But um, I thought they did a good job. I thought they did a good job selling their guy and and showcasing him the way that he needed to be showcased to reintroduce him as potentially the guy the top guy um, it was really really impressive look he showed he showed elusiveness and I think more so than anything the big thing that Tyson fury did was show the ability to go stop an opponent and this is a guy who really looked like not the most entertaining fighter in ring he is probably the most entertaining outside the ring as you could see afterwards where he's again performing his famous karaoke ballad of don't want to miss a thing by Aerosmith seems to be his go-to look everybody has a karaoke go-to i was a little bothered by it afterwards i was like what am i what am i in tyson fury reruns we're doing the we're doing the aerosmith thing again i, I would have figured in your american debut you would have had something ready ready to go something new locked and loaded maybe he just felt like enough people didn't see him actually win the heavyweight championship four years ago i don't know but he went with Aerosmith. don't want to miss the thing again that's his go-to some people go with journey i don't know but he uh he serenaded the crowd but getting to the point of it he is I think probably the most entertaining personality outside the ring with his uh his charisma his bleep talking uh his chicanery his antics all that stuff but you know his fights they're hit or miss like he is elusive he is a a defense first guy he's a guy that uh tries to exploit his opponents and I think that we know in heavyweight boxing, people like to go see the big boys go finish. You know, it's cool if you're Vasily Lomachenko going to do that or even if you're a a guy who loved the way Floyd Mayweather fought or or anything like that at the the welterweight division. I think that's a skill set you look for more. But at heavyweights, we want to see these guys go out there and break each other's faces. Let's be honest with it. But yesterday, he went out there with Tom Schwartz and, you know, I I felt like, you know, Tom Schwartz – Coming forward at him was a guy that was going to sit right in front of him. He was trying to do whatever he could to Tyson Fury, but obviously the speed was a big advantage, and Tyson Fury made a big deal out of this weight that he put on. He was very accurate with his shots, broke Tom Schwartz's nose in that fight, um, went up against the rope. Schwartz was was swinging and missing like crazy. It looked like the old Muhammad Ali jiff, if you guys have ever seen it, of Ali up against the ropes and him making his opponent miss. Probably a good four shots. It was really, really impressive what Tyson Fury was able to do there. And, you know, just started unloading. Hellacious uppercuts. Big time. Big time shots switching to southpaw. It was a great, great showcase for for Tyson Fury yesterday. It really was. Uh, Much like Deontay Wilder had a great showcase against Dominic Brazil, where he is out there and he is showcasing the best of himself, which is having an absolute nuclear bomb in his right hand and putting away his opponent when he hits that chin, Tyson Fury got to show the best of himself. He got to show the elusiveness, the move, the entertainment, the showmanship, and I think what we're hoping for, which is a guy that looks to be a little bit more of a closer. Now, again, this is a guy in Tom Schwartz, nobody had a, a, a shot in hell where they thought Tyson Fury was going to lose this fight. No way. Everybody thought Tyson Fury was going to go in here and do work, but I, I got to be honest with you. I actually had this in one of my picks for the Midday Show with myself, Leroy, and Beast, and I did struggle with, like, well, I don't know if Tyson Fury is going to go out there and finish an opponent. He doesn't really force that. It's not his style. He doesn't go out there and try and push the envelope and and, and get outside of himself to go finish opponents. So I didn't know. I did ultimately end up picking, the the bet was over-under 9.5 rounds, and I did ultimately end up picking under- but a big part of me kind of felt like, you know, Bob Aaron was going to soup it up in there with a referee that was going to have a quick trigger and he was going to he was going to find a way wherever that thing got ugly to stop that fight. But you got to give props to Tyson Fury for his accuracy and how devastating those shots were. I mean, breaking the nose of Tom Schwartz early on in that fight. He did look very impressive and he did put a guy in there who really wasn't going to be able to hang if it did, if, even if the the ref did let it go a little bit more and did let him take that beating in the counting seconds of that second round. It probably wasn't going to last much longer. It really wasn't. Tyson Fury looked fantastic. And I think the good thing that this fight does is it, it, it separates himself and Deontay Wilder for a little bit. They're both going to have one more fight. And hopefully everything stays on track to where they are going to be fighting in early December, uh, in late December, early January, and we get that matchup to figure out who the actual top guy is now. All respect to Andy Ruiz, who holds the most belts, but he's got his own deal to do where he has to go fight Anthony Joshua again. So that's kind of inconclusive. It's it's a little bit weird to be honest with you because you know here is Andy Ruiz who has all that hardware, and beforehand everybody would have regarded. Anthony Joshua as the man. But nobody really seems to be regarding Andy Ruiz in that regard. That they want to make sure that what he did wasn't a fluke. Even though a lot of people afterwards are saying, no, it's not a fluke. He has the skill set, he has this background, and he he probably or could do it again to Anthony Joshua. But it's unfinished business right now. For right now, it's it's off to the side. And so what we're left with is these two gentlemen in Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder, who we know have been in the picture for years now, figuring out between them who really is the guy. And I thought what they have done now with their showcase fights um, has shown the best of themselves. And so now we'll get one more. It's probably going to be Tyson Fury taking on Kubrat Pulev coming up in October, September. We know that Deontay Wilder is going to be fighting Luis Ortiz. Not an easy fight. We know Luis Ortiz is absolutely fantastic. Has probably had Deontay Wilder in the most danger in a fight. While Tyson Fury probably had the most success against Deontay Wilder, Luis Ortiz was the closest to putting Deontay Wilder on the canvas and the closest to really, really hurting him. And so it's not an easy fight for Deontay Wilder. And I would say out of the, the two, he's got the tougher matchup between him taking on Ortiz again and and Tyson Fury taking on Pulev again but they have to fight again I mean the fight was so fantastic it was an all-time classic um, between Tyson Fury's skill set and Deontay Wilder's power we got to see it again it has to happen and we need to have a final determination of who the guy is and maybe eventually they have a trilogy I don't know Uh, that's the that is kind of the the beauty of the draw that they had the thing that's gonna be interesting you know Bob Aaron made a big point of this afterwards and he said that he doesn't think that Deontay Wilder with this in-shape Tyson Fury could last five rounds with with Fury. He thinks that this version of Tyson Fury is that much better than Deontay Wilder. I had Andre Ward on the show this week, and Andre also kind of went with the idea that Tyson had done so much stuff to his body and had the substance abuse problem, the depression, where he... You know, he told the story on Joe Rogan where he nearly drove a car off a bridge. Um, he had to come back from so far to get to that Deontay Wilder fight. So are we going to get a much better version of Tyson Fury this time around? And the one thing I'll say about that, sometimes that stuff is true, uh, where a guy is, is making the comeback and he could be that much better in the rematch. Uh, you know, if I were to put it to an MMA Analogy, think of John Bones Jones versus Alexander Gustafsson, where John didn't train very hard for that fight. He seemed to take the opponent very easily. And what happened, he ended up two rounds in the hole with his championship very much on the line and, and needed to dig deep and have one of the best performances of his career to defend his title and shown royal vulnerability. When they rematched, wasn't very close. So does Tyson Fury have that much more in the tank when he goes and takes on Deontay Wilder and on the same way, does Deontay Wilder have another level to get to when he's taking on Tyson Fury it's tough to, it's tough to look at Deontay and feel like there's a lot of room to grow from the standpoint of you know how he's going to go and win these fights, he's got his path to victory, his path to victory is not elusiveness, boxing, boxing skill set, trying to rack up points, his path to victory is he's going to knock your head off and so is he going to need more of that? Is he going to need to be more imposing? Is he going to need to try and push the, the envelope a little bit more? Probably, probably. But the one argument I would make for Deontay Wilder against Tyson Fury, and this, is, this has been my the, – the big card that I think that he has going into this, is that he's taking on a guy in Tyson Fury at 6'9", with that kind of reach, and when you're a power puncher like that, and you are a guy who is looking for that chin, and you're looking for that that one little area, and this is the first time you've really been in the situation where you haven't been the bigger guy. And not and not only that, were you not the bigger guy, but you were small going into that fight. He was 208 pounds because of uh, rumored sickness and, and all that stuff. So he was very, very small going into that fight. He's put on weight. He put on a lot of weight for the Dominic Brazil fight, as did Tyson Fury going into this fight. And by weight, I actually mean muscle. Um... So if you have a guy who's, who's got a, a beefed-up Deontay Wilder going into a fight with Tyson Fury, a guy who's fought 12 rounds against, a guy whose range he's going to be a little bit more comfortable with, even if he is in better shape, is it going to be easier for him to find the target? Or do you think Tyson Fury, with the boxing skill set that he has, is going to be that much more elusive, that he's going to have that kind of um, ring generalship when these guys face off again that he's going to have the advantage and it's tough to know a lot of people would probably say that the tactician that the guy who has the boxing skill has the advantage because they think in a way that's going to make them be more elusive and be less likely to get hit and find ways to inflict damage on their opponent but with Deontay Wilder he goes into every fight knowing that he's probably got the lower quote-unquote boxing skill set but he's always got the equalizer which is his power and if you're giving him another fight in there with 12 rounds to try and find your chin one I don't think that he's going to get dusted in five rounds like like uh like Bob Arum says Deontay Wilder doesn't get put on the canvas it's just it's it, it, he's he's as tough as it gets he's got we've seen that he has fortitude obviously with Go in that entire fight with Tyson Fury, where he's getting peppered, still finding his way to find his chin in the 12th round, putting him down twice in that fight. We think to the Luis Ortiz fight and think about the adversity that he went through to go and finish him in that fight. This is a guy who, as the competition has gotten stiffer, his heart has only gotten bigger. Um, And with Tyson, we're, we're still left with some questions. What is the actual ceiling for this guy? Because since winning the title against vladimir klitschko he's taken on one world-class guy and he really had one mistake to avoid and he still ran into that and i think he's great i think if you were to probably say who is the best guy out there right now at heavyweight you probably would give the nod to tyson fury um, but i think you're just doing that based on the fact that you think that he has this great boxing skill set and not realizing that, yes, Deontay doesn't have a lot of those things that he brings to the table, but he's still probably the most dangerous heavyweight. And that's what makes this division so fascinating. You know, it's okay to have these debates. It's okay to have these preferences. It's okay to sit here and and think about which guy do you actually enjoy watching more. Um, They're both great, and I I really think they've done so much for this heavyweight division, and the fact that with that one matchup, we're going to have all this debate, and we're going to have all this fodder, and we're going to have all this this the all these talking points going into the rematch when it does happen you just hope that nothing slips up and that nothing comes of uh these guys tripping up and not getting that matchup eventually but you know hats off to Tyson Fury good showing yesterday against Tom Schwartz um did what he had to do but did it in the most sensational way much like Deontay Wilder did against Brazil and much like Anthony Joshua did not do against Andrew Ruiz Jr. And so we're in flux a little bit in this heavyweight division and we're in a bit of a holding pattern because we got to figure out where all the belts get settled up with Joshua and Ruiz and we got to make sure that Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury navigate through their contractual fights that they have coming up. And they're not easy, especially for Deontay Wilder. So it's going to be, it's going to be, a back end of 2019 for this heavyweight division where we're kind of just hoping everything is cleared up for 2020 where we'll actually find out who the guy is and you know based on what happened a couple of weeks ago you never quite know you never quite know when the trip-ups can happen a lot of action in Bellator this past weekend and an MMA legend he has decided to hang it up we'll get to that next It's Fighters Fury on AM790, The Ticket. Welcome back, everybody. Fighters Fury rolls on here. You can text the show 67974, and those texts are brought to you by accidentlawfirm.com. Texter writes in, Fury is technically savvy, but do note it, it wasn't his American debut. Question, does it get annoying hearing announcers oversell at times? Um, aside from the fighter, I mean, Joe Test was so over the top with anything Fury did and a bit much with the Living in America, but it was funny. Living in America was funny. They were overselling that. They were like, oh, this is going to be a ring entrance like you have never seen. And I was like, well, I have seen it before. That's that's Rocky Four. I have seen it. It was in a movie. Dude, cool. I mean, you didn't have the band. Apollo Creed did it better. He actually had James Brown, so you know, cool. It kind of looked like the Marlins' opening day when they opened that stadium with all the uh, the flamenco dancers. That's what it looked like, man. It wasn't a or it you know it, I I don't know. It was cool. It was it was a nice thing. Like I said, the Tyson Fury um, entertainment factor, it was it was fine. You know what I also found weird about Tyson Fury? He was very. Um, he was very short with his answers yesterday. This is a guy that normally does say a lot. And like I said, I think he is the most entertaining heavyweight outside of the ring with the the way he can talk and the way he can sell fights and all that stuff and sell himself. But um, I felt like that was dialed down a bit yesterday. So that was interesting. And yeah, they're over the top. But I, I will say this about ESPN. They are, they're not any more guilty than zone is for Anthony Joshua or Showtime is for Deontay Wilder. Everybody does it. Everybody does it. They they all are gonna sell their guy to the peak because that's the that's the that's their calling card. That's their guy. That's 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 the that's the um you know that's the golden calf right now. And so Tyson Fury is ESPN's probably their most famous fighter. I mean, you know, their best guys are I mean it, it depends how you want to put in this if you want to put Terrence Crawford in there or you want to put uh Vasily Lomachenko up there you know that's kind of their th- that's kind of their three the three-headed monster as far as what they're selling but they are going to try and go and sell this that they have the legit heavyweight champion of the world just as Showtime will and just as DAZN now does well even though Andy Ruiz he's a PBC guy so you know, going to make a fight with him and, and Deontay Wilder would uh, would be fairly easy. Uh, he just has to fulfill his rematch clause. But the one thing I will say is, you know, you know this Khabib Pulev thing. Like, cool, I get it. You gotta you get a showcase and you get enticed Tyson all this money, and he gets a couple of uh, a couple of other things. You know that that crowd yesterday, being what it was, was a little bit interesting for his American debut. Because I will say for this. Yeah, Anthony Joshua was selling at Madison Square Garden, and and that's a week before Triple G had trouble selling at Madison Square Garden. The crowd wasn't what it was, so it still defines who these people think the stars are. You know, you having Deontay Wilder, who's had his trouble selling tickets in the, beforehand. You know, he's having to do do fights over at uh, UAB and and Alabama and a bunch of stuff, but you no, know, he's definitely busted loose and. People will go see him at the Barclays Center and want to see that showcase of what he could do. You know, Tyson Fury not being able to sell a sellout in Vegas was uh was a little surprising. But again, you can't you can't fool boxing fans that much. They know what they want to see. And so while it's great, you know, you having this uh this showcase form and and, and, and using this platform, and as he mentioned, you know, two and a half hours of documentary on Tyson Fury that's all good hey it's fantastic you, you you're you gonna have all this content and I certainly saw Tyson Fury a ton in the lead up to this fight and I believe Bob Aaron made the claim that he thinks Tyson Fury is gonna get more subscribers to ESPN plus than even the UFC we know that beef is long-standing um and we know that the rumor numbers of the UFC and their pay-per-views haven't been fantastic I would just say um from his standpoint, like, you still got to go out there and and have the entertaining fights. There needs to be no doubt with people. And while though many people think Tyson Fury went out there and and, and won on the scorecards against Deontay Wilder, you know, still the most memorable matchup, the, the most memorable thing from that fight is him getting up off the canvas. So he got knocked down very, very hard in a way where people thought he was dead. So that still leaves doubt, and that still leaves in conclusion and still leaves things to be answered um I just I the thing that I, I just want is for all this stuff to be put aside and 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 Bob Aaron made the point like look there's two networks here top rank and PBC to to I guess put it in a way even though Deontay Walter is a very complex promotion relationship where he's not really tied to PBC by contract he's just gone with them and He's got Al Heyman and Shelly Finkel and all these people involved in his his deal. It doesn't really have him super tied, but that's that's who he's been going with. That's where most of his fights have been. Um, it's just we're in a spot now where I do think that that, that next matchup, should Deontay Wilder get through this Luis Ortiz fight, um, I think it's going to be very hyped. I think people are going to be really, really into that fight. And probably even more so because Anthony Joshua has a lot of fixing to do with his career and so with that being the case he's kind of on the outside looking in right now we know that these are the two guys and that we have a final conclusion there's no third guy right now that's that there's no third banana that really has to weave in all respect to Andrew with all them championships that he has but we know where he's targeted to go next it's to fight Anthony Joshua and so where do we go from that spot? text writes in that fury is the best heavyweight in a very long time he's very good he's very he's very good um and he's very skilled he's very unique he's i think that that is something that is is definitely clear that tyson fury is unique especially at that size 6'9 the movement that he has a lot of people were loving the uh the making tom schwartz miss up against the ropes uh coming back with the uppercuts it was it was really really impressive what he did yesterday but Mind you who it was against. That's always that needs to be put out there. And that's what he should have done. Look, I was up here. I was, you know, salivating over that knockout that Deontay Wilder had over Don Brazil. But that's what he should have done. He should have done that. That's what it was there for. If you're the heavyweight champ of the world and you're taking on a guy who's a lower tier guy, good guy, you know, not, not, a, not a bum, but a guy that you're supposed to be a cut above, that's what you do. And same goes for what Tyson Fury did to Tom Schwartz yesterday. Let's get into a little bit of Bellator from the weekend. Uh, Very, very interesting card as you had a, uh, you had Roy McDonald taking on Neiman Gracie. They were going for this welterweight Grand Prix that's going on. And it was interesting to watch Rory because this is coming off of his performance where he was talking about not being sure if he wanted to fight anymore and where his career stood. And he was able to get the win over Gracie. He moves on. He's going to take on Douglas Lehman in the final of the welterweight Grand Prix probably where this should be and where people thought this was going to be by the time we got to this point so a good job by Rory to get the win I think uh put some of the stuff to to bed for a little bit um although you know when when anybody talks the way he was talking after his last fight against John Fitch and you know plenty of people thinking that John Fitch won that fight quite frankly um you're always kind of wondering in the back of your mind like what are we going to get from him um even though with with Neiman Gracie you're probably not thinking that the there's going to be a, a, a knockout. The thing that was interesting was him saying that he didn't want to hurt people anymore. And so he was able to get his win, moves on to the welterweight final. The, uh, the, the biggest headline to come out of this was Leona Machida's win over Chael Sonnen. He won by TKO. 20 sec, uh, 22 seconds into round two. And Chael Sonnen decided to hang it up afterwards. The, uh, the American gangster, his career is over, 42 years old. He finishes his career... At a record of 31 17 and one uh back-to-back TKO losses I would say probably two of the most vicious finishing losses of his career most of the time when Chael loses he gets submitted um and even when he would lose by TKO to like Rashad Evans or John Jones it wasn't like his lights were getting put out the referee just came above and stopped it so you know, just getting a little bit slower, getting a little bit uh, long in the tooth, and we know that Chael back in the day was very enhanced uh, by uh, by by everything that he he uh, he concocted into that body. But look, Chael Sutton's legacy is not going to be defined by wins and losses. The guy is obviously one of the most entertaining people on the microphone. His uh, his ability to promote a fight was second to none until Conor McGregor busted onto the scene, who took a lot of chales gimmick and played in that uh, in, in that area of the promotional field so the the guy was unique in that regard where people he got people to care about watching him fight even though he didn't have the most pleasing style like Chale Sonnen was meat and potatoes was going to try and wrestle you take you down and and put his fist in your face and if he didn't uh you probably <laughs> were going to submit him um you probably were going to have the better of him on the feet. But that mouth, man, that mouth was uh, was unbelievable, made people care. Um, a lot of people around the sport love the guy. They say he's one of the nicest guys in the sport when he's not promoting a fight and he's not trying to make you uh, make you hate him or root against him. Um, his peers really, really, uh, really, really enjoy the dude. So that was uh, – it was sad to see Chelsea's career end, but also – also glad that he's not going to be one of these people hanging up he's got basically any mixed martial arts broadcasting gig that he wants and people always say that oh he could always go into broadcasting he always go into broadcasting chael's actually been in broadcasting he's been in broadcasting for a while he's been one of the 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 mouths for the sport for a while and so whether it's working on espn or working on bellator people are always going to want chael sonnen's opinion on this stuff because um you know the guy's good at talking he really is and so uh, a bummer to see the career come to an end, but uh, all the best in this next chapter of his life. Because we always cared, man. We always cared, and it, it's always it's it's tough to say like, what would a guy's career be like if not for that last round against Anderson Silva? Because if he would have won that fight, my God, I mean, you're talking about Anderson Silva at Anderson Silva level, and if he would have won that fight, what would that have meant for Chael Sonnen's career? Even if I mean, even if he would have ended up getting beaten a rematch, which he did end up getting beaten a rematch. But I'm saying like different if you're the champ and you've taken that guy's belt and you've taken that invincibility, which everybody had with with Anderson Silva at the time. So that was uh, that was that was crazy to see. The other thing we got to shout out a couple of people uh, locally: uh, Kyoji Hor- uh, Horiguchi with his win over Darian Caldwell, he becomes bantamweight champion for not only Ryzen but Bellator. And uh, so shout out to Horaguchi who trains over at American Top Team. Great performance by him. Um, he is now yeah he's a two, he's a two promotional champion. And I guess the way it works is he's got to defend it at least once a year for Bellator. That was the agreement. Um, but he got he got the best of Caldwell in that one. Shout out to uh, Valerie Lareda, Miami Zone. She got herself a win over Larkin Dash. Uh, I, I gotta tell you, it's exhausting watching Valerie Laredo fight. She never stops moving. She is moving around in a circle that entire time and then explodes with these crazy kicks, uh, that Taekwondo and these things that she can come out with with those, with those legs. I mean, it's, it's incredible to watch. Um, you know, you could tell, like, there's, there's still a rawness there, but, I mean, just the energy that she fights with uh, throughout, throughout a three-round fight, I thought it was a great experience for her. She took out a a tough fighter in Larkin Dash, because Larkin took some Took some shots, man. Took some nasty kicks to that body. Took some big shots to that head. Um, But very impressive for the 20-year-old Laredo, who is from the 305. So if you guys are interested, uh, keep an eye on her. We've had her in studio before. And uh, I think a lot of people think she's a star in the making. I would say the biggest prelim headline maker was uh, Adam Boricks, who trains over at Hard Knocks 365 in Fort Lauderdale. His flying knee over Aaron Pico to win in round two absolutely devastating for Aaron Pico you know this is tough like this is this is a tough thing for Aaron Pico because we're talking about a guy who I don't know what it is with him because he's very very young very very young we're talking 22 years old and we've seen Aaron Pico go through and steamroll some folks and that boxing is Really, really tremendous. I mean, some of the body shots and the accuracy that he can put forth on guys looks amazing. When we're watching this fight against Adam Borks, the wrestling that he was putting forth, we really hadn't seen that with him. You know, he is known as a, as a world-class wrestler, but we hadn't really seen it. So he moves to Greg Jackson's, and we start seeing that, and, and he looks like he is absolutely dominating. But he still gets caught. It's a weird thing where he has all of the tools but just can't put them together in the ring and now you're talking about a guy right now where he's four and three and his three losses have taken i mean he's taken just absolute devastating shots his fight against zach freeman he took a nasty uppercut ended up getting submitted went on his run the henry corrales knockout was oh it was it was very very vicious and this one was vicious too so i don't know what happens here i don't know if you know bellator obviously invested in him early and wanted for him to go out there i mean this is a guy who made his debut at madison square garden and you know i mean he uh had another loss at madison square garden this past week for i don't know what's best for him you know this is not one of those things where i want a guy who looks like he has that much talent retire but there's definitely got to be a figuring out process, whether that's going out on the regional scene and fighting on smaller shows. And just to get, his, he looks like a guy that just needs to figure out how to get through fights. Um, and some may say like, look, well, what's the point? Is he going to go out there and, and get another role? Like he needs to figure out how to get through fights that have conflict in them. Because if he goes to steamrolls folks, he's had that. And you know, it, it still led to this, but you know, for a guy that everybody thought had all this promise and was definitely going to be champion one day, again, he's 22 years old. So there's still a lot of time to write the ship, but it's just weird watching these fights because every one of these fights has the same... Every one of these losses seem to have the same pattern where he looks like he is going to do something absolutely sensational and you're in awe of what you're watching. And then a moment happens and boop, it's all gone. It It all turns. So... That was the uh, the biggest thing of note from the prelims from this past Friday. So that's a little bit of your Bellator rundown. When we come back, we'll get into some of the news and notes from the UFC this week. Khabib Nurmagomedov, he and Dustin Poirier had their first press conference. And Khabib had some interesting words for his nemesis, Conor McGregor. So we'll get to that and more on the other side right after this. It's Fighters Fury on AM790, The Ticket. All right, welcome back, everybody. Text or writes in 67974, brought to you by firm.com Toby, do you have any interest in Paulie Malinaji versus Artem Lobov next week in bare-knuckle fighting? I'm going to watch it. Uh, so, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I'm interested in the circus. I would like to know, obviously, if Conor McGregor is going to show up to that because him and Paulie have a longstanding uh well let's just say hate for each other. <laughs> and I believe we are going to talk to Pauly Malinaji tomorrow on my show in the afternoon with uh Beast and Leroy, although Leroy's out tomorrow, so it'll be Beast and Robbie. But we are going to talk to Pauly Malinaji tomorrow before he fights Artem Loboff this weekend. Um so I'm looking forward to that. And we'll see what Pauly has to say. I know he's been training down here in Miami getting ready for this fight. There's been a lot of uh, picks from, you know, Fifth Street Gym. I saw he was working out with our guy Harold Calderon for a little bit this week. So, Paulie's been putting in work. I I'm fascinated to know how you get ready for a bare knuckle fight. Um, uh, quite frankly, because obviously I don't think he's going out there and he's you're not fighting you're not sparring bare bare knuckle um And the other thing that's interesting is Paulie is a is a guy who's talked a lot about his hand problems. Like he is he's a guy that, you know, had a, had a had a good background, but but you know injuries kind of hindered what his career really could have been. Uh, very very skilled fighter, obviously uh, great with the mouth as you do. You can nobody's broadcasting. I think he's probably the best broadcaster going as far as analysts are concerned. It's probably him and Andre Ward. I love Roy Jones, but he's not really doing it anymore. And and Roy's Roy's in and Roy, Roy's in and out. But I think right now it's probably him and Andre Ward. I think are the two best former boxers that i like hearing on the call and yeah I'm, I'm a little bit interested because also you could you could punch in the clinch so you know i think he's gonna go out there and he's he's gonna go and try and and just outskill artem lobov but as we've seen with this bare knuckle dude uh that wacko who's just like we're, we're taking away half of his purse we're not engaging and if i were paul malignaggi getting into a fight with artem lobov i figured that's how i want to go out um and I don't want to get caught with something dumb. You know, Artem's not the greatest fighter in the world. That last fight against Jason Knight was crazy. It's bloody, man. The, the bare knuckles stuff, is, it, it's bloody as hell. Um, I don't know what the future is for it because it's not, it's not as skilled. And so you're not watching striking that's as skilled as boxing is concerned. You're not watching mixed martial arts where there's all these elements that are really well coming together. You're really just watching two guys fight this, like, war of attrition. Um, so if you're really into violence and you're really into dudes cutting each other's faces up, this is it for you. Um, but I'm interested. Yeah, I am interested in seeing a guy, two guys who come from different backgrounds. Um, Artem has this weird cult following, and Paulie has been wanting to get in on this mcgregor beef since the sparring incidents for a long long time He spit on artem lobov in the lead up to this fight so the heat's on it for sure and i, I gotta imagine it's only gonna get it cranked up more this week because they're gonna want to get as many pay-per-view buys as they can um but the interesting element is gonna be yes yeah, mcgregor gonna show up and then where does things go from there because you know we don't really know what the future is for mcgregor right now Let's get to this. This was this weekend. This was this week. Uh, I think it was a Monday or Tuesday. I don't remember when the hell it was this week, but it was uh, it was Dustin Poirier and Khabib's first press conference. They had it in in uh, in London, and or maybe it was somewhere in Great Britain. I don't remember where it was, but it was uh, it was in England, and you know I would say that not much heat coming out of it for the two of them. The only thing that I thought was even like kind of prickly was. Khabib saying to Dustin, "I have finished two people who have finished him. So, what? What? What we do? What we? What, what? What you think? But he is experienced. I can't wait for this fight. Dustin's got some of the best boxing in the division, if not the best boxing in the division. Um, and he's really good everywhere. But Khabib is the most dominant when it comes to taking the guy down and, and holding a fight there and." If you can do that in mixed martial arts, you're probably going to win a lot of fights, like Khabib has. But he was asked about the idea of fighting Conor McGregor again, and this is what he had to say. You say you've not finished what happened on October the 6th. Is a, is a, is a rematch possible down the line?
0: Uh, like, last three years, he have only one victory in amateur boxing, you know. How he deserve a rematch. Like he up, he he begged me, please don't kill me, you know. And um, now he talk now he talk about rematch. Tony Ferguson on the line, you know. Like people who have win streak on the line, but not the guy who who don't win nothing last three years, you know. I have a lot of walks without him.
1: And uh, right now, I'm focused on September seven. And I, like, I'm I'm glad, Habib came out and said that about Conor McGregor that he doesn't deserve the rematch, and it was put into the light uh, of of the eerie. Please, he he begged me, please don't kill me, please. It's that that has to be it has to be pointed out. Like this guy, the guy submitted Conor McGregor. He outwrestled Conor McGregor. He out Conor McGregor. He had the best shot of the fight. He dominated him every facet. Every facet of that fight was won by Khabib Nurmagomedov. I don't really know where the argument is for Conor McGregor. He's won no fights since 2016. He said... Khabib even gave him more credit than what he really should get, which was he won an amateur fight, an amateur boxing match in, in Ireland. So... Why is there even discussion of a rematch other than Conor McGregor draws a lot of pay-per-view buys? What is the argument? What, What possible argument can there be? If this was other divisions, if this was flyweight, bantamweight, women's flyweight, heavyweight, light heavyweight, okay, I get it. There's not a lot of options there. But... At 155, where you have a man who has the interim championship in Dustin Poirier, you have a man in Tony Ferguson who was interim champion, only lost it because his knee got torn up and still hasn't lost, has won two more fights since you took the belt off of him. How is there any argument that, the, that Conor McGregor deserves to fight him other than the, the people who come in for casual peeping on the fight game Want to see him fight for a championship? There's no, there's no logistical or merit-worthy argument that Conor McGregor should be fighting Khabib for the championship. He got his opportunity. He lost, and it wasn't close, and it wasn't controversial. Other than what happened afterwards, I just, man, it it, it just blows my mind that it's even up for debate. And here's the thing that bothers me the most. If Khabib gets past Dustin Poirier, which I don't know that he will. But let's say that he does. And they jump Tony Ferguson for the next title shot too to give to Conor, like they're just like, "Oh, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to give Khabib the number one contender here. And that's that's what we're going to do." And then you go and do it to Conor, like at that point like, "What are you doing?" What what is this all for? You got the best division on the planet, 155 pounds, lightweight. That's where it is at, at, at mixed martial arts right now. And you're going to try and make the argument that a guy who hasn't won a fight in three years should fight for the championship, which he already got to fight for, and lost. It's just weird to me. And I guess it's just it's one of those things in boxing where like normally a big star is just going to get vaulted. Yeah, I get it. But you're not supposed to be boxing. Like, your whole argument for years has been, we're the anti-boxing. The guys who deserve it are going to fight for it. If that's the case, and I know you've broken off of that in the years past, but now that you have this giant ESPN deal, your pay-per-views are pretty much covered by a guarantee from Disney, you have no real pressure to go out there and make these kinds of fights. You don't have to go chase the Brock Lesnars of the world why would you do it why not set right who should be fighting for the championship and then whenever conor does get back to the top which all you're asking for by the way is a guy who i don't want to dump on because and make it seem like he's a bad fighter conor mcgregor's a badass his rise to the top was incredible the way he would knock people out the rounds he would call them out in his run through featherweight was incredible the, Nick, the Nate Diaz fights unbelievably entertaining. Um, at 170 pounds, when he was a, a, a featherweight champion, coming up to make that to, to make that bout happen, and and the win over Eddie Alvarez was absolutely sensational. Eddie Alvarez is a bona fide Hall of Famer. The guy has incredible wins on his resume. But when you go and take a break to go box, and then you come back and you get smoked. While these other guys are sitting there winning fight after fight after fight after fight after fight, the guys who win those fights should fight for the championship and so I'm glad that Habib went out and, and he said that about fighting the guys who are actually on top like Dustin and Tony and you know all, all GSP even throughout in, in the in the uh, in the aftermath if he wants that for a legacy fight even though I'm not really into that the, the whole GSP thing. But I just I just found it so, I find this strange that people think that Conor McGregor should really be in the mix right now at 155 pounds. And all people, and look, he's still ranked very high. So all he would really need to do is go win a fight. And that's the thing that you find even weird about it. I get it. He's got more money than God right now. He's got the, the whiskey and the, the Mayweather money and all that stuff, and he doesn't need to fight. But if he wants to go be champion again, if that's the case, if he wants to go out there and have a have a gold belt around his waist. Well then you just, you need to take the steps. You don't just get to throw you don't just get to go throw your 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 deal on the table and say, "I'm Conor McGregor, give me a championship." At least you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Not with this promotion. Not in this weight class. And what the what what is the great crime? What what is the great penalty? Should go f- win a fight. Did Tony Ferguson really we're talking merit. Did Tony Ferguson really need to go out and beat Cowboy Cerrone for that fight to, 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 to even solidify his number one contender status? No, he didn't. But he did. He went and he fought. And he broke the guy's face. Fight was stopped. And once again, is even more undeniable than he was. Dustin Poirier, even. Even with him not having the star status of Tony Ferguson, of Cowboy Cerrone, of Conor McGregor, you're talking about a guy for four years has lost one fight in the hardest division in the sport. Did he really need to go fight Max Holloway to get an interim belt, to earn a number one contendership? Because if he was in any other weight class, in any other weight class, he probably would have had three title shots. But he did. He did go fight Max Holloway. He did go win the interim championship. He did go steal Willy Wonka's golden ticket. So, you have all these guys up there atop this division who have earned their chance to fight for the Undisputed Championship. And yet, all I'm saying to Conor McGregor is, go win a fight. Go beat Cowboy. Go beat Tony. Go beat Max Holloway. I'm telling you, go beat a guy you've beaten before. Win any of them. And then you're back in the discussion. But to think you just get to sit back here on your whiskey throne and just wait it out. No, I don't love it. I, I I don't like that game, and I'm glad Khabib said what he said about it. Please, please don't kill me. Please. It's so feeble saying it like that. That is a menacing voice, though, man. Russians. Crazy. It's Fighters Fury on AM790, The Ticket. All right, welcome back, everybody. All right, welcome back, guys. Tobin here with you. It's Fighters Fury. Um... So, I wanted to get to this. I saw that TJ Dillashaw, and I'm sorry that this has been a sticking point on this show, which you guys know as I've I've been talking about this, that I never liked that TJ Dillashaw flyweight nonsense that went down, where he was like, oh, I got to fight for the flyweight belt. I got to go down and wait. We know that he tested positive for EPO. And this became a big sticking point where, like, you started even going to start testing for EPO uh, to 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 go back, like, to test old samples, all that stuff. This is something that drove me bananas when I read this because uh, he was on Chael Son's "You're Welcome" podcast because he was cornering uh, a fighter this week at Bellator, and so Chael uh, caught up with him and talked about the whole testing positive thing for EPO, and this drove this really drove me bananas because he was talking about that he used it because his body crashed, that he hit a wall in training, and that he really wanted to become a two-division champion and, and do something that hadn't been done before of getting himself down in weight, and that he was a lean 135er, and all this blah, 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 blah. And this is the thing that drives me nuts about it, is kind of, <laughs> first of all, exactly the point of why nobody wanted this super fight between you and Mighty Mouse in the first place or thereafter the Henry Cejudo thing because who cares about a big guy going down and cutting weight? Second of all, the fact that now you come out and admit that you couldn't do it naturally. Like, if you want to talk about performance-enhancing drugs and, and whether you're highly against them or they don't really bother you that much... If we're talking in professional fighting, what the biggest benefit for it would be would be one, endurance, and two, being able to make your body the most efficient it can be at the smallest weight. So the reason why people cut weight and fight at 155 pounds when they walk around at 172 is because they feel like they have an advantage that they're going to hydrate and feel stronger, and they're going to be taking on a person that they feel uh, they got the jump on. Maybe a person who's probably more naturally fit. If you could be, if you're a hundred, if you're naturally 165 pounds or 162 pounds, and you cut to 145 pounds, and if you're 175 pounds and somehow could cut to 145 pounds and could actually do that. In a, in, in a natural way, who do you think is going to have an advantage? You would typically say the guy who's just much bigger. The reason why people think Max Holloway, why the reason why a guy like Max Holloway is so good at featherweight is because he is able to be that size and cut down to 145 pounds and be that dy- dynamic. So when I read this stuff by TJ Dillashaw and he's trying to sing this song like, Oh, first of all, I, you know, it's like, I, I, first of all, this is the first time I've done it. I've never used performance-enhancing drugs, which many of his teammates have said is complete BS. And yes, we're glad he's finally obviously been caught for using performance-enhancing drugs. But the idea that it's just like, well, the reason I did it was just because I, I wanted it so bad to make 125 pounds and my body just couldn't do it anymore. And I'm just reading this and I'm just like, yeah, that's the point you couldn't do that fight naturally you weren't able to you weren't able to make that weight naturally and so when you tell me i needed epo because otherwise my body would have shut down i i, I just want to hit my head on a wall like well yeah that's that's why you shouldn't be fighting at flyweight man and that's why that title would have been complete bs so I just found it weird it's like why it, it, let's just say, for T.J. Dillashaw's sake, that he, that he has been completely clean his entire career, and he's never used performance-enhancing drugs in his life, never used something like EPO in his life. Um, you want to tell me that you, the first time you're doing it, you want to have this prideful accomplishment, but you can't do it naturally? It's just, it's, it's just a strange, illogical thing. And I, I I think this will be the last time I, I talk about the T.J. Dillashaw thing because I think we've hit every corner of it, but when I saw that follow-up to it, I felt... I was like, yeah, uh, okay. That's kind of been the whole point the whole time. The reason why I didn't want T.J. Dillashaw to go down 125 pounds, one, never done it before. Two, I don't care about guys getting smaller to fight. And three... Uh, If he couldn't do it, what was the whole thing? What was the whole risk of it anyway? Like, did you really sell that many more pay per views or have that many more ESPN Plus subscriptions? Because TJ Dillashaw could show you that he could starve himself to 125 pounds where he looked terrible. And by the way, showed you uh, he looked terrible artificially. I don't even know if it's enhanced, is the right point. Art, 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 artificially diminished and also couldn't take a shot from Henry Cejudo it, you know it, it, it's just uh, the whole thing needs to be put to bed for me but when I read those comments that he said on Chelsea's podcast this week I was just like hey, are you kidding me you, you're telling me that the, the only reason you used that stuff was to get to a weight class you couldn't get to I'm wild man anywho um Bringing you guys another interview here. This is uh, one I've been excited to bring you guys. This is an interview with uh, Xander Zayas, who is a boxer who is local. He's from down here, born in Puerto Rico, uh, but he is a he's 16 years old. He's the youngest person to ever be signed by Top Rank. Um, he and he is uh, trained over at Sweatbox Gym. I went over to Sweatbox Gym probably like three weeks ago. You guys have heard the interviews I've done with uh, George Cambosos Jr., uh, who just recently got a win. Saul Rodriguez, who we talked to. You guys heard that conversation last week. Uh, he's going to be fighting at the end of the month. And Xander Zayas is going to be uh, coming up with his pro debut soon. But uh, people around him think the world of him. They think he's going to be an absolute star. Obviously top rank. Uh, thinks a lot of them because they signed a 16-year-old to a professional contract. So they think he's going to be a pretty big deal. So I figured it would be a cool opportunity to get a chance to talk to him from the jump of his career as he's in the gym, and you will learn. I thought it was fascinating because you kind of learn how does a 16-year-old turn into a professional boxer and and get into this, especially one that lives in America. Um, I thought thought it was a fascinating topic, and uh, I thought he was a... A really fascinating young man to speak with and really enjoy the conversation. All right, we roll on here on Fighters Fury. Very excited to be joined by our next guest. Xander Zayas is joining us. Sixteen years old man, and this is the this is the profession you want to go to. Uh that's, that's very badass of you. That's very cool to see. Was uh was this something that you wanted to know for a long time, that you wanted to become a professional boxer?
0: Um yes, you know, as a boxer when when you do when you do a sport, you always want to get to the top of it. And I think the top is to be a professional fighter and become a world champion. So it was
1: always a dream to become a professional fighter. Was there was there any thought like you wanted to go uh, Olympics first or anything in the path like that? Why the decision to turn professional so young?
0: Yes, um, you know, I, I had the dream to become an Olympian. But because of my age, I'm 16 years old, um, I couldn't go. Yeah. I couldn't qualify because I'm... Um, that Aiba changed the rule. You have to be 18 now, so I'm 45 days short, oh. and I know. And you know, we've been we've been talking to Top Rank, and well, was- the opportunity was there. And I think we took it,
1: and I think it was the right decision. Well, that's gotta mean still something to you, man. Like, if, if with that with that opportunity closing with the Olympics just because of an age thing, just the fact that Top Rank was assigned you is is uh, so young, has has to mean a whole lot. Yeah, you know,
0: it's it's a great opportunity, it's a, it's a dream come true. It's it's a company that got a lot of history, a lot of background, and I think I'm I'm happy with who I signed and who I'm gonna become.
1: Uh, what, what age do you remember being so goal oriented? Because, you know, speaking with your manager beforehand, and he's like, you know, laying out this whole game plan. And I'm just like, man, I couldn't imagine being at 16 years old thinking about, I want to do this, and then the next year they this, and then the next year they that. Like, that takes. Such tremendous discipline, which I imagine you have as a fighter, but you're also very young and you have your whole life in front of you. So do you remember at what age you're like, I, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this, and because I imagine that's something that's born in you.
0: Yeah, um, you know, I started boxing when I was five years old, and I won my first national, my second national back-to-back, then my third national back-to-back, and I said, this is my sport. This is what I have to do for the rest of my life. And I just focus on training, train hard every day, push myself every day, and it got to a point. I was around 10, 12, and I said, "This is how it's gonna go. This is how I'm gonna train. This is how I'm gonna push myself, and let's expect the best."
1: So you, are, you're from Puerto Rico, which is, uh, which is you know boxing heaven, basically. You get your, your, your place. They they, they, they love it, and you are you come from where a lot of legends come from. Are there are there favorites in, in your time watching and growing up? Who who are the guys you look up to? Um,
0: Miguel Cotto. That was that was you know I was born in O2 yeah. and growing up he was he was the he was the best fighter pound for pound in Puerto Rico and around the world. He got to a time that he was the pound for pound around the world. So, you know you have to look up to him if you're Puerto Rican. If he, if you're a boxer in general, you have to look up to him.
1: Do you see that like when you're when you're growing up? Do you notice the love that? The people have for him is that something that's that's uh, that connects with you
0: yes um you know just just going back to my my iceland and all those all that crowd just rooting for me it will be awesome and how they did for him i hope they do for me so I'm just looking forward to do it.
1: Did your family want you to do this? Is this something where uh like they were they were for you taking this path?
0: Yes, um, you know, I was I was being bullied when I was five years old, so my mom decided to put me in boxing and just to just to defend myself and then I fell in love with the sport and she she got a little nervous, but you know, it's part of the sport. Um she's happy. We, we you know, we talk every day you know we have a good conversation about what I want to do in life and it's just it's just something that she's happy with and I'm happy with and the whole family's happy with it
1: so mom is uh she's ringside for all yeah of yeah it. she's
0: a yeah she's <laughs> a ringside
1: that's pretty cool man that's 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 uh that's that's pretty awesome to hear that you had that kind of support system behind you um, if you if i if i had to like lay it all out for you as far as what what you want like when do you see this all happening for yourself at 16 years old because boxing is normally something where you got to build up that record i'm sure you got big dreams like do you have in your mind like when you want this kind of all to happen in it the- so
0: i got a great team my stepdad orlando garcia is it's a great it's a great stepdad. you know i love him like my dad i got a great coach javier santano got a great um a great manager peter can um i think we're going oh and I have a great a great promoter, top rank. So I think we're gonna take everything step by step. I don't have an H just to, you know, become a world champion or I don't wanna say, you know, I have an H because I don't. I wanna take everything step by step. I wanna I wanna go slow. I wanna I wanna enjoy my journey and just become the best every day. And the age that I become a world champion, that's gonna be the age that I will become a world champion.
1: So let's learn a little about you inside the ring. Um, what are what are your favorite things to do inside a boxing ring like is it is are you are you a guy that likes to go and impose your will do you like to be slick with your moves how what is what is it when you're in the zone what do you love what do you love doing
0: i like to impose you know impose my will you know i, I like to be the stronger man always but at the same time i like to box i like to touch and don't get touched and when i'm in my when i'm in my zone it's just like a goes hitting you <laughs> um but I mean, I just, I just, we're working on the defense. We're working on everything now. So I think I'm, I'm a little bit more slick than I was before, and I think I'm, am I'm a better boxer than I was before.
1: What is the, uh, what's the oldest guys you're taking on, man? Like, guys, as far as like, when did you know I'm way too good to take on guys my own age?
0: Um, you know, every time we spar, we don't spar guy at our age. My, I mean, my age, I spar guy older than me. I spar Neno no know, I spar him. I spar 20, 20 from 20 and up, guys. Never, not like that. I I spar guys my age. It's not, it's not common to, for me to spar guys my age anymore.
1: But like, but that's what I'm asking. Like, what, when was the point when, when you stop, when you stop doing that? Like, because you realized I'm too good for these kids. Like, I'm not, I'm not. It's, it's not good for them for me. To so die. I
0: was, I was, I think 108 pounds and. My dad and my coach said, Hey, let's spot this pro guy. And I'm like, All right. So I took on him and I just I just did so yeah. good. I did yeah. good. And my dad was like, Hey, this is the pro guy. You can do it every day. And I'm like, Alright, so the next time we spot another pro guy and I just did awesome again. And I just from that from that day I just be spotting pro guys. That's
1: pretty awesome, man. Well, Zender, we're looking forward to watching this journey, man. It's gonna be a lot of fun watching it from the beginning. And uh, all the best to you, man. All the best. Watch me rise, sir. <laughs> Thanks again to Xander Zayas for the conversation, man. We appreciate the time and all of you guys listening. If you missed it, uh, thank you for downloading the podcast. And if you could, just leave a little review, a rating on Apple, uh, Google Play, all that stuff. It'd be much appreciated. Always helps the podcast and the currency with that stuff and whatnot. Um, boosts us up in the ratings and all that stuff. All that good, you know, algorithm stuff that they they put on it but thank you guys always supporting the show and we'll talk to you guys next week we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on netflix but what do people do with their ears well for one they're listening to audio americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day oh and you want the proof